You're listening to The Served Up Show, a podcast that features inspiring beverage professionals and topic experts that share their passions through meaningful content. Your hostesses, Bridget Albert, is best known as the Market Fresh Mixologist, an industry mentor with over 25 years of experience. And I'm Julie Milroy, best known for my passion for leading change and helping others grow in their careers. Grab a cocktail and sit back. Let's learn how we can make a positive impact in our industry. On this show, I sat down with a very unique guest to talk about a very unique topic, beverage antiquing. Have you ever been curious on how to find unique beverage antiques for your collection? Well, Angie Jackson, the original American picker, elixir fixer, and a beverage antique expert, share with us on how to be a beverage picker, what to look for, and how and where to find those beverage treasures from bottles to bar tools. So grab your favorite drink and enjoy the show. Well, we're really excited to welcome the traveling elixir fixer, the amazing Miss Angie Jackson. Angie, welcome to the show. Julie and I are so happy that you're here. Oh my gosh, I am so happy to be here with you too. Like I said, it's Friday. I had chili and I get to hang out with you too tonight. This is awesome. This is fabulous. It sure is. You know, um, you have this really special knack. And you're known to a lot of us in the industry as like the original American beverage picker. And I was hoping that you could explain to our listeners what that means. I would be more than happy to. I am a proud picker and I have, I've been one all my life. My parents, uh, my dad's a realtor. And so, you know, quite often homes would be sold and things would be left or, um, the customer always felt that, you know, my dad did something special and they would gift him things. And um, so we've always had that kind of in our, in our lives, you know, and it was always kind of the hunt for beautiful things like that. So it's funny how we were talking about that because I've been doing this all my life. And I, maybe that's why that I've just kind of had a honing in on be able to find specific treasures. And it really is. It's a hunt. It's a challenge. And I just, I love doing it. I know you do. And I know you have a lot of treasures in your home for sure. Um, can you explain to us exactly how you do it? Sure thing. I, let's, there's several different methods. Number one, let's start with the free method. <laughs> That's always a fun one. And, you know, look to your, your grandparents. Look to your parents. Look to your crazy Uncle Joe. You know he's got a bar in his basement. Um, look to your family first. Um, many things were handed down that maybe be tucked away in cupboards. Punch bowls are perfect things. Sometimes you can run across a great, um, perfect set of a, like a, a Tom and Jerry cocktail set. Uh, look to those things because in the 1940s and 1950s, those were the eras of the, everybody, even into the 60s, where we entertained at home. So it was not unusual for you to have your neighbors over or close friends, you know, for cocktails and appetizers. So you can really find some great pit, pitchers and complete glassware sets in that. So that's like the free method right there. Then you can kind of bump up to uh, hitting your thrift stores. 
you know, the thrift store is always a great place because what happens is a lot of things end up at the thrift store from people donating, you know, maybe they've had an unfortunate death in the family and they have no desire to have an estate sale. So, you know, they want to, you know, put some things at the thrift store. So when utilizing the thrift store, don't be afraid to pick up if you see one or two, like some really nice, like cut crystal coupe glasses, get them because you never know, you may find another two somewhere else. And I'm notorious for doing that because I will buy those and I will post them. And I have friends who have said, oh my gosh, those are my favorite grandmother's glasses and I accidentally broke one. So I am going to step in and complete that set for them. Um, so, and I love that. I, I, I kind of consider it like, uh, um, I'm kind of like the, the rescue person of them, you know, and I'm fostering them until I find the right home for them. You do. You foster a lot of treasures for That's sure. Great. I do. And the thrift store is great. So you can be able to find those kind of things there. Um, get to know your thrift store employees um, because they're the ones that are going to tell you when things come in. And there are certain days that you'll be able to get some really good deals on it. You have to hunt. I mean, you can't go once. Sometimes you'll find something really good on a one time, but if you really, really, really are looking for some great things out there, you need to go several times and get to know the employees. They'll, they'll hook you up. I mean, they always, they, they, I, I have always had very good luck with them. That's um, great. And then the next level that you can do, and I have found some incredible treasures this way, is the estate sales. And how you can find out about those are, uh, I think it's estate sales, um, uh, if you Google that, there's a, a website, estatesales.net, if I'm correct. And you can put in your zip code and how far you want to travel and some key search words. So once a week, you can get that email and it will tell you what, uh, what is available in your area. I am not afraid to get in the car and go drive an hour and a half to somewhere super cool for an estate sale just because it's fun. Go get lost on a country road and enjoy yourself while you're doing that one. Oh my goodness. Absolutely. Um, can you give us some tips as far as when you are, are picking, you know, what to look for in an item? And especially, you know, we're talking about beverage items here, you know, it's almost the holidays. And I know for me, myself, you know, I really enjoy those thoughtful gifts and I love gifts that have been handed down from my mother and my grandmother and things like that, especially things that pertain to our industry. So when you go into a thrift store or an estate sale what are you looking for? Well, one of the things that you can tell if you want really old, um, if you're looking for glassware, that's a great example right there because as we progressed an industrial revolution, you know, we changed the way we made things and you'll see, you know, like a, almost a mold look to it. And you know that, you know, like, like it's been cut glass that's put and put together. You know, you can eye it and look at it and know that, you know, this one it probably isn't that special. If it's special to your heart, though, that's what matters most. If you really are in love with that piece, buy it for yourself. There's, you know, that's wonderful. But I love to look for cut crystal. You know, I mean, that's always a good one. Depression era glass as well is wonderful. Um that can sometimes be a little bit harder to find because there are a lot of collectors out there for it. You can find it. And like I said, when you go to the state sale, make sure you beeline to the basement because that's where everything happened. There's a bar down there. <laughs> I'll guarantee it, especially in the older neighborhoods where you go. I remember um, when I lived in Chicago, there was a, 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 an estate sale popped up and this was in Berwyn. 
And I knew what was going down at that. And I had had sneak peek pictures of it ahead of time. And if you are going to do estate sales, understand that if there's a lot of really sought after from a collector, there may be a line, there may be a raffle, there may be things, you know, like an order to get in there. So you may get your pieces, you may not. But I remember going to that one in Berwyn and I beelined to that basement and no one was looking for what I was looking because the people that were there, these they collected vintage uh, Christmas stuff. And that stuff dated back to the 1930s. Well, those collectors, they were there for that. They beelined to the attic. I hit the basement and I ended up picking up like, had bidders that dated back to like about the late 1940s, early 50s. You're kidding. I still have them. Yeah, those are special. I don't just break those out for any reason. Those are ones that, you know, but I ended up picking them up for, I think, 15 cents. 15 cents? You can't buy anything these days for 15 cents. Julie, have you bought anything in the last decade for 15 cents? No, I haven't. (laughs) Especially a Oh, it's actually a bottle of bitters. You well, know, speaking of cheap things, um, Bridget, you know this one, and I think I really got you on this one. Um, look to your public libraries for book sales. Um, remember the the book, uh, the how and when? Oh my gosh, it keeps coming up. Well, here's how keeps coming up in conversations lately, which I have in my hand right now, which you can definitely you can find. It's a wooden book, folks. Uh-huh. If you can find it, grab it. So this book from 1938 was published by Hubling and Company, I believe. And mm-hmm. uh, it's called The How and When. Mm-hmm. It is very sought after. And I picked it up at a Chicago library sale for 25 cents. Yeah, that's insane. I know. Um, it's insane. So look to those kind of places as well. Well, especially, you know, cocktail books are super collectible. They really are. And, you know, the, I think what um, to keep in mind, like uh, one man's tra- trash is another man's treasure is what they always say. Right. But Absolutely. with the, but with the popularity of the cocktail and, and us cocktail nerds, like we're growing. There's so many of us nerds all over the country. They're harder to find. They, they are. They're being sought after. And you can find I mean, I have found. Again, here's what you do if you really want to do that. Go to your local bookstore. Get to know your your store owner. I'm lucky. I live in a neighborhood um, that there's a local book owner, you know, store. And I I have basically told this person, this is a list of things I'm looking for. Please call me if you get them. And I've checked off so many things off of that list because they're the ones that are are off of their information highway. They know where to find those kind of things. And they're going to help you out because you're helping them out on a local aspect. Um, And you're right. The, the, you know, the, the treasure aspect, don't be afraid. If you're at a flea market, go through all the boxes. Because one special treasure that I found at the bottom of a box was I went, I just happened to be digging and I started looking at um, like some of the advertisement, you know, especially from liquor from the 1940s and 1950s. It's not exactly politically correct these days, but I was looking at several of them. And all of a sudden I got to the bottom of this box and I found a, uh, a log book that was kept during prohibition by the pharmacist that um, it was basically put out there for the what is now as the internal revenue service but it it was uh to record what they brought in and what they dispensed during prohibition for medicinal whiskey and what was even cooler about it is the original carbon paper was in there wow yeah i 
I picked it up for like $5. I mean, it was just unbelievable find at the bottom of this box that most people wouldn't even know was there. That's incredible. Do you do you go to antique fairs? Because I, I live here in Miami and on Lincoln Road in, in certain times of the year, they have a farmer's market and kind of like an antique fair that they do. Do you find a lot of good things at, at those types yes, of events? That, those can be a gold mine for finding those kind of things. And if, you, if you're a serious picker, what you're going to, my method is if I go to a flea market or an antique, you know, fair, and I love it, what I will do is, is when I get there, I start looking immediately to who may carry some things that I'm looking for. Um, scoping for glassware, scoping for um, cocktail shakers. And I do a quick once through real fast hmm. and note immediately. But then you go back a second time and fine tooth from there because you may find some individual pieces at a place that they don't really know what it is. So they're just slapping a price tag on it and you're going to get a better deal for it. I want to go picking with you, Angie Jackson, Miss Traveling you know. Elixir Fixer. I think it'd be <laughs> just so much fun. Well, I, you know, it's, it's odd because in your adventures out there, I say get out and enjoy. I remember going to this bar up in, um, it was uh, up in uh, the Chain of Lakes area in Chicago. And there was a bar that had, the first liquor license in, um, what's that county up there? Um, it's not uh, Kane County. It was the first one after mm -hmm. prohibition. So of sure. course I'm going to go in there and just driving around the lakes. And all of a sudden I saw a, a garage sale sign. Those are the next best places that you can go. So I go in there and start looking around and I hit jackpot. I look up and, um, they had all of the old liquor signs. They had Bruyana, and Bruyana is its own other little entity, and it is very sought after, very coveted, and very expensive. So we start talking, and I told her what I did for a living, and she said that her father owned a bar and had all of this, and she wanted it all to go to a, um, you know, a good home. Well, what I scored out of that was the entire. Um, Anheuser-Busch with all of the Clydesdales lit up um, enclosed box and it was in mint condition. And wow. I, I picked that up for pennies compared to what the um, I sold it for. Um, other things that I picked up in there, they were, she was talking about it all and it was amazing. I could not believe that I had saw, um, I think it was uh, Mr. Mr. Boston, brandy, big plastic. What This would have been prior to like the lotto out there and playing Keno at bars. Mm -hmm. So people would put money in this um, big giant, you know, plastic liquor bottle and they would be given a number. And then at the end of the night, you know, they call the number and whoever won took home everything that was in that, you know, big plastic bottle. Well, this bank had never been broken. I mean, it had never been used. So she's like, yeah, I just want you to have that. Just, you know, I want, I, you know, and, I ended up hugging this awesome woman when I was done and she was so ecstatic that this, these pieces were going somewhere they were, they were going to be loved again. Yeah. That's really sweet. I know that you've showed me so many pieces over the years and you've been so generous and you've given me so many pieces over the years. And one of my favorite pieces, and I don't have it in front of me right this second, but is the um, it's from the Roosevelt hotel in new Orleans. And do you remember this? It's the playbook from new year's Eve from 1934. So it's one year after prohibition and they put together a whole playbook of um, their celebration for that night, including bios on all the bartenders 
that we're serving that night and what the guests were eating and what the costs are. And it's one of my most treasured items. I love I it. I remember that. And I knew when I got that, I knew that I, it was going to you. I just knew it. I'm like, this is going to Bridget. Then you know, she needs to have this piece. And, and I, I love doing it for other people as well. You know, so I'm, I'm so happy you have that. I have it. And, and you too can look behind me. You see, I have a, an apothecary cabinet behind me. And it comes from the late 1800s. This was found at a barn sale that was sitting outside. And we said, well, how much do you want for it? And they're like, eh, you can just have it. So this is why I have a pickup truck now. <laughs> because <laughs> anything that I find like that, you know, throw it in the back. It's fine. We, we, you know, so I have this gorgeous late 1800 apothecary cabinet in my dining room that I got for free because someone just didn't want it any longer. It is beautiful. Thank you. And I don't know if you can see it, but over in the corner, um, celebrating, um, you know, who you folks work for. I, um, two years ago, four, it's four years ago, I turned 50 and um, a friend gave me a bottle of the Jim Beam 1976 Charlie McCarthy porcelain decanter. And it was full and the tax stamp hadn't been broken on it. Cool. actually had found it at an antique store. Now, I, I really shouldn't even be, but, you know, I, I opened it and I probably lost maybe about six ounces in evaporation over that time. Hmm. But to taste it was the most incredible experience because the way I looked at it, we were looking at history. Number one, it was distilled in 1969. I would have been three years old. We didn't even have a man on the moon at that point. So there was no technology going on your distiller cut by hand at that time. You think about the grains that were involved at that time and look how far we have come in agriculture development and what the grains tasted like then. Think about the water filtration. Think about how long it sat in that ceramic. And it was the most delectable thing I ever had. And I made sure to share with everybody. I said, and I told the story. I'm like, you know, this is an incredible thing right here that you are tasting liquid history right here. Oh my and gosh. It was, it was delectable. It was the best birthday gift ever. And I got to share with so many people because everybody just got a little tiny sip. You know, I'm like, this is all you get because I have a lot of friends. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. I love that. It's liquid history. And so that's, that's a really great way to, to, to think when you're going on that hunt, right. That you're talking about. Can you talk about some of the other bottles? I know you gave me um, an old chartreuse bottle at one point mm -hmm. as well, which I still have. Um, how, you know, you have so much. What are some of your favorites? Uh, oh, one of my favorites. My Prohibition era bootleg um, Canadian club bottle. Do you remember seeing that? I do. Mm -hmm. It was uh, distilled in 19... Um, 18 and it was bottled at seven years and on the bottom of the label it says beware of counterfeits and that particular bottle was smuggled across the Detroit River and was found in my family's cottage floorboard and um, it was full it was my great grandpa's probably um, he lived in Ann Arbor he founded the radio and broadcasting department at U of M chance and I imagine he was a rye man and that would have been what he would have gone for. <laughs> hey, the highball was hot, you know, hopping, you know, I mean, so 
Um, that is one of my most prized pieces right there is that bottle. Uh, I remember people found out I had it and they're like, uh, why do I sell that? And I said, no, this one's just way too close to home here that I need to keep that. Do you think that it's harder for people to find those those great bottles now that there's such a market for them? And then you hear of all the counterfeits, you know, especially folks shopping maybe online and um, not really getting what they paid for. You know, how do you avoid that? Uh, you know, it's a great way. Um, I, I've, I've only been really probably only had one or two counterfeit pieces in my entire career. You know, um, one of them happened to be a, a, that stymied me a little bit, but I knew it was a decanter. I knew it was not produced out there, but um, it's um, the Johnny Walker. Uh, I had a decanter and why it triggered me because I can't remember the exact year, but the walking man, you know, on their label, he faced a different way. So I had to look it up and I, and he was facing a different way. So I thought, okay, this is one of those special pieces, but upon looking at it a little bit closer, that chances are somebody made it. And, um, you know, it's quite a nostalgic piece. It doesn't mean, you know, it, but, and it wasn't anything that I felt, oh, I'm going to go ahead and get rid of it, you know, because it was really kind of cool, especially with the striding man, you know, I mean, you know, the walking man facing the different direction off of it. So um, some things you can look for is, is look at, you know, font type, you know, I mean, that's always a good one because there's specific fonts that were used during certain generations that we can try and recreate, but it really doesn't work. Um, you know, you'll get to know, you know, if you're out picking and stuff like that, you can pretty much tell when eras are, you know, like sometimes I look at something and you know, by the design, the font of, you know, what era that may have come from. So that's always a good giveaway right there. Amazing. What's your favorite era to pick? Oh, I'd have to say the 40s. Really? I do. I'm surprised. I'm surprised you said that. I thought you were going to say prohibition. Why the 40s? No, I, I say the 40s because um, that was the art of entertaining. You know, we really, 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 um, especially after like the world wars, you know, and things like that, people were getting, you know, Back to home, it was one of those situations where you had the neighbors over for cocktail hour. It was not unusual for, you know, mom and dad to have cocktails when they got home to unwind, which I highly suggest we all need to do that a little more often. Um, you know, the kids, <laughs> you know, you know, the kids, you go play elsewhere. Mom and dad need quiet time. But it's the sets of the cocktail wear during that time that I'm really, really, really drawn to. I, Although I do love, you know, the prohibition era and I love the medicinal aspect, you know, that you find with the bitters, especially like, you know, vintage bitters bottles. And uh, and that's a whole nother, you know, category of what we're talking about, because like when I refer to myself as a traveling elixir fixer, you know, number one, I'm from Kalamazoo, Michigan, home of, you know, the Upjohn Corporation here, you know, with medicinal, but I use elixir strings on my guitar here. We were talking about guitar, but I loved what happened, you know, prior to the cocktail, you know, I mean, we relied on this stuff for medicinal purposes and the bitters and, um, you know, curing what ailed you. So I, I love finding the packages of those too. Those are really fun. Yeah, I agree with you a thousand percent on that, Angie. You know, my great grandfather, um, my my uh, my father's mother's dad, 
Um, he had a pharmacy in Joliet, Illinois, and we do have a few of his antiques. And just recently, my dad said that he had some bottles, they're glass, and they're still filled with pills. I don't know what's in them. I can't wait to see them. Oh, I'm not, that, I'm not going to taste them, but no, <laughs> I yeah. Think it's interesting. Yeah. I have yet to really taste anything that is in like something like that. I, I, you know, I, I don't I know. It makes me idea. a little, makes me a little nervous. Yeah, exactly. I like to look at it, but yeah, I like to look at it too. And I like to look at the tools from back then too. And that's one of the reasons why I love the forties. Um, because we as, you know, mix masters and, you know, crafters in the kitchen, our tools are intertwined quite a bit. You know, like if you think of fine strainers, um, you know, anything to that nature, those tools that were made at that time, they were made to last and they are super good. And the way I look at it, they've lasted that long. That tool has a soul and it has energy and you can harness that energy while you're crafting and creating and they are virtually indestructible. I remember Bridget one time I had a fine strainer. You're like, Ooh, where'd you get that? And I'm like, I got this at a, you know, this antique barn place that I picked it up for like two bucks. I remember you were like, what? And it, they just don't make tools like that anymore. So I incorporate so those quite a bit. Do you find that bar tools uh, were pretty popular in the 40s then when people started doing a lot more home entertaining? Yes, absolutely. And you can find a lot of great um, um, silver plated cocktail shakers out there. And how you can look, this is a perfect thing for you to look is look on the bottom, you know, for uh, the maker's mark. Um, that is who made it, you know, especially with, you know, silver workers and things like that. I have found things and it will quite often be numbered and you can do a quick Google search. There's a lot of groups out there that you can be part of as well. That, that people are more than happy to assist you to kind of figure out the timeline and the tag of when it was made. I had a great little silver plated cocktail shaker. If you got near it with ice, it started frosting. I mean, it was one of those, it was great. And it was made by the Friedman Silver Company in um, in New York. And it was during, um, I, think, I think I dated it somewhere between 1938 and 1943, you know, and with the number on it. And I, I loved that shaker. And I picked it up at a cocktail, uh, I think it was at an antique store for, I don't know, $20, $25, but, I think I've seen them on eBay for about a hundred and a quarter, 140. So um, there's even a wonderful stretch over here for those in the, you know, in the Midwest. Um, I don't, I live in Michigan and there's a place down in Southwest Michigan called Union Pier, Michigan. And it is like you step back into 1940s magical times. You drive down these winding roads with these cottages. There are two, um, Oh, turn of the century, tiny hotels that functioned as speakeasies during that time. You can walk in and you can feel the energy of these places and they haven't changed one bit. But along a corridor, there's a two lane highway where Al Capone would have definitely been riding up and down right there. In fact, he is notorious. He has owned several homes in that area. But um, you go up and down and there's some wonderful little tucked away in nooks and crannies of antique stores that's where you get the best finds. Um, you can find some of the old school um, soda siphons, you know, you can see online, uh, you know, for a couple hundred dollars. I found three of them and they were 60 bucks a piece. And I went up to the counter and she goes, oh, you're buying all three. And I said, yeah, and she goes, I'll give you a deal. She totally, I, I got the whole, I got all three for a 120. 
And those are actually sitting right back here. You can see behind me, ladies, you know, that uh, the soda siphons and they're the blue and the green ones. And those are the most sought after that you will find. So again, don't be afraid to go down the country roads and find things because during that time frame, everybody had something to hide and it's up to you to find it now. That's great. And I loved how you mentioned, you know, looking to your family because you brought up punch bowls. And I still remember as a as a young kid, my at birthday parties, my mother always made a big bowl of um, a concoction she would make with like. Mm -hmm. Seven Up and those cans with the the fruit cans, the fruit cocktail, and she put it all together. It was the best thing ever. But they were actually, now that I think about it, really beautiful flower glass bowls, and the 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 little cups would hang over the edge. And you know, thinking back now, that that could have been something special that we probably could have kept. You know, what kind of punch bowls have you seen? Oh, I, I am the queen of punch bowls. I love punch bowls. Those are my favorite things. And I love finding them and gifting them people. Um, I have found some incredible sets out there and I know exactly what you're talking about. That's how I feel about that. Yeah. Cut crystal. I, one of my favorite ones that I have, it's huge. It's a, it's leaded glass. There's no doubt about that, which I think it makes the punch taste even more special the way I look at it. Big. <laughs> the glass helps for sure. Yes. It truly does. Um, it's big, heavy, cut crystal, leaded glass. I mean, you would not want to drop that. You'd break your foot if you dropped that thing. I, it, it is, it's gorgeous. And it came with accompanying complete 16-piece set. And I think I bought it at an antique store for, I want to say like $38 to $42. It really wasn't much. And some of those sets are, you know, again, Look to your parents, look to your grandparents, even your aunt. Hey, any chance you got grandma's, you know, punch bowl? Because she may not be using it or your uncle may not be using it anymore and doesn't think about it. And why? Because it's under a cupboard in their kitchen or, or in their basement that they don't visit all the time and they forget they have it. Maybe a little gentle reminder. Hey, I would really love to have that punch bowl. Anybody have it? Chances are they're going to be okay with it because they want that space in that kitchen. You'll find space. Yeah. And they want you to use it, right? Exactly. They want you to use yeah. it. Um, what can you tell me a little bit, Ange, about the etiquette when you were picking? Is there any etiquette? Like, is it okay if you're in a uh, flea market or if you are in a thrift store to ask for a lower price? Is there is there um, kind of the rule of thumb to follow? Or when you're at a garage sale, do you just take what's at face value or do you go in and haggle a little bit? I, I, the term haggle, you know, I, I don't know. Um, I will sometimes ask, definitely. It depends. You know, I, I feel the energy of the person that's there. If, um, I feel that they can go ahead and I think I can make a little negotiation. I'm more than happy to do so. I really don't in antique stores and why? Because it's a bricks and mortar store and they have to pay for rent and utilities and all of that. Um, that, that price tag is there for a reason. And if it's on sale, great. You know, I mean, I picked up a, a turn of the century um, medicine bag. It was a Buffalo medicine bag. And um, I went in and, 
price tag on it was $85. And I went up and she said, you know, I'll give you, I'm like, no, I will pay full price because I know what's going on here. And um, I want to make sure that you're, you know, and she's like, oh my gosh, that's so sweet. You can do it. Um, especially at flea markets and things like that. I will go in and say, Hey, you know, I've got six bucks cash as opposed to the eight or 10. Um, a couple of times people might even think you're a dealer, which I've actually had that happen before where I went in, I was looking at this gorgeous vintage pie cabinet and uh, the guy, I said, so, well, you know, what do you, what do you want for that? He didn't have a price tag on it. He goes, well, you're a dealer. Right. And I turned to him and I'm, I'm like, no, I'm not. And he goes, ah, you're, you're pretty cool. I'll give it to you. Yeah. He gave it to me for a dealer price anyway. Um, just be nice and sweet to people. And, you know, you'd be, you'd be amazed at what you can get out of things such as that. And auctions are another good one too. I mean, I love a good auction. I, I, I've ended up down some cornfield roads at a barn for an auction because there was one piece that I wanted and I will literally look at the other auctioneers and going, what are they looking for? What are they looking for? And thinking whether I'm going to get that piece or not. I think only once I didn't get one and I was okay with it because I ended up scoring some other things at that one, but auctions are always a good one to go hang out with too. How do you find these auctions? How are you like online or do you have a <laughs> newsletter that you follow or? Um, you can find them online. Um, I, especially on estatesales.net. Um, like I mentioned, you know, that is really a great um, hub to be able to find these places. And it is just fun, you know, that maybe on a Saturday afternoon or something, you want to go to that, you know, and you kind of have something to look forward to. I, I'm going to go out and go on a country road and I'm going to take my time getting there and I'm going to go and I'm going to go to the auction. I'm going to have a great time and I'm going to take a different route home because you never know what you might find. Like I said, I've been to auctions and I've uncovered garage sales. I've been to an antique, you know, store. Uh, I've been to an antique thing and then taken a different route home and found a garage sale or found something that, hey, I might want to stop in here. You never know what you might find. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a, just a little bit about depression glass, Ange? Because I think that it's one of the most common things that you see at all the spaces that you just talked about, whether it be the jars or the glasses, you know, themselves, kind of the, uh, that whole carnival glass era. I have a lot of it here at home um, as well that was passed down from my grand, my grandma. And I know more colors, depending on what colors that you are able to find is really how based on their value, you know? So for instance, like I have red, which I think is a very common color for carnival glass or, you know, where if maybe if you find green, that's not as common, but what can you tell the, us about that? Well, the, the depression era um, glassware is its own collectible entity and it is very sought after and it, it is expensive. I mean, uh, but um, again, by the tools that I've given people that you still can find some pieces. And as I mentioned before, it may not be a full set by one or two, if, even if it is, because chances are down the road that you may be able to find the other two elsewhere and be able to combine those two to make the full set that you're looking for. I've done that before. Um, I'm not really familiar, I, I, I have to admit, you know, I have to, I will continue to look too, you know, um, at the colors and, and things mm-hmm. like that, that you might find to find out what the value is and where it's going up or down and what sure. is the most sought after as well. Keep up, I, I've even um, had some books, you know, I found that, you know, it's detailed, on that completely. Um, I have to say that every, every one of them, every piece of depression, I 
glass, I buy it and I give it away to people that, you know, collect it and may want it. Um, where my, you know, my specialty more is on like the medicinal bottles and, um, the pharmaceutical aspect. Mm -hmm. I like that. And you can trade with your friends. You know, I mean, you never know. I mean, I've done that before. I'm like, what you got over there? Well, what you got, you know, you know, and, um, you might find that that works out to your advantage. And also don't be afraid to tell people what you're looking for. Um, they may find it out in their travels and be there for your friends. I had um, one of my friends text me just the other day. Hey, do you ever run across these? And I'm like, what exactly are you looking for? And, you know, how many do you need? And he said, well, I've been watching an old detective show and I saw them drinking brandy out of those uh, cross-cut uh, uh, crystal brandy snifters. And I said, well, I run across them occasionally. I said, but now it's in my head. So I would, next time I'm out and I see anybody, I will make sure to pick them up for you. So it's just kind of fun that you can be able to trade something off and get, find something cool for someone. You know, and Julie, when Angie says that she gifts her friends, this stuff, she's not kidding. Like I have so much from Angie. One of my favorite um, items that I have from you, Angie, and I don't know if you remember, they're the, the small, delicate aperitif glasses. They're just so small, so beautiful. Um, and they're very fragile. And I just had them out the other day, actually. I don't know if you remember um, gifting mm. those, but, and I don't know where you found them either, but in one of the classes that you came and taught at the Academy of Spirits and Fine Service in Chicago for Southern, it was a gift that you'd given to me and I cherish them. They're actually um, downstairs in my little wine nook. Oh, I know. Yes, I now remember. I, you know, seriously, they're like all my, they're like my, like I said, my my fostered, rescued relics is what I will call them. And I love it that they go to someone that will enjoy them. Um, I had a friend do that for me as well. I had a beautiful highball set of glassware from my grandmother and I just adored this set and they were uh, on the outside they had a um, kind of a, a red and gold paisley motif on the outside and they were in mint condition there was no hmm. fading to them well I accidentally broke two in a move and I was so distraught you know I mean this was a gorgeous six-piece set but one of my friends here in Kalamazoo happened to go to an estate sale and found they weren't exact but they were close enough that it could be four more added to the set in the exact opposite colors so it looked really cool when I brought these two sets together and it just felt so good that my friend did that for me because she knew how distraught I was over that glass set. Here, I'm crying <laughs> over a broken glass over here <laughs> That's so special. <laughs> well, I, I love bringing it for that reason, because I've had a lot of people come to me and say, oh, my gosh, I love these glasses from my grandmother. And like I said, they broke them, you know, so for me to be able to reunite it together and I know that they're going to have fun with it. That's the most important thing. Is there anything that you're hunting now? Anything that you're looking for now that we can put out to our listeners and say, hey, Angie Jackson, the traveling elixir fixer, really wants to find this. Help the lady out. Wow. You know, what I am really into these days is, uh, um, you, know, I'm, I, you know, I love my apothecary and my alchemy skills, and I'm always looking for vintage kitchenware right now because it incorporates that into the mixology aspect when you're making you know syrups and tinctures you know and I'm looking you know 
I'm really into the wildcrafting these days of of basically making, you know, the, the herbal wildcraft cocktail kind of aspect. So when I'm able to use these vintage tools of back when we canned all the time instead of during a pandemic, when we, sure. when we basically had those kind of tools that we needed in order to expedite what you were doing, that's what I'm looking for. I found some great drying screens. Um, so I'm always looking for that, for drying herbs. Um, as we, you know, moving, you know, through life and understanding that liquid, you know, like um, white pine needle, you know, a perfect example, you know, white pine needles, great for bronchial, you know, and so I might turn it into a tincture. So I love having a nice bottle of that aspect, but also the drying screens to be able to dry the herbs to turn them into what I want later. <laughs> I think that that's so amazing. You know, one thing that we're missing from your story today is that, I, you know, I think Julie and I would both love to know what brought you into the beverage industry. You're not just a fan of it. I know that you do have a story to tell. You know, what's funny. It, it picked me. Um, like, uh, uh, I began it as just a side job in the very beginning, you know, of trying to make ends meet. And honestly, the moment I stepped back behind the bar, I knew I was just supposed to be there. And I, I didn't have any history of any bartenders in my family, such as you, you know, your awesome aunt, was it? Mama and her mother and her mother's mother and my great, great, great aunt Tilly. Oh my gosh. Okay. I knew about aunt Tilly, but I didn't realize all the rest. Kudos to you. Yeah. No, I didn't have any of that. So, but something inside just said, this is what I am supposed to do. And um, I love the flavor, the flavors. I love the spirited aspect. It's history. It totally is. You know, I'm a history buff. That's what I, I love about it. And, you know, one of the most famous things, sayings out there was, what was it, Mark Twain that said, you know, in order to be the cheapest and quickest and easiest way to be uh, the most influential person in your community was to stand behind a bar, wear a cluster diamond pin and sell whiskey. And that's where people are gathering. That's where memories are made. That's where revolutions were started. That's where, um, you know, you don't go to the town hall. If you really want to go know a community, you're going to go to the bar. I mean, that's where people are, whether they're there having a cup of coffee or whether they're there reading a book or whether they're there to enjoy each other, that's where it was. And that's where the life was. And that's where it still is and where it's going to come back again. Absolutely. I'm very excited. I can't wait. Well, I can wait until it's clear. <laughs> well, I think that's a great note to end on, Angie. We're so happy to, and so fortunate and so honored to have you on the podcast today. I do hope that you'll come back uh, again. And I want to wish you, you know, great health and to stay safe out there. And I want to wish you so much peace. Thank you so much, Miss Angie. I want to thank you, everybody who involved in this. Um, Julie, it was such a nice time to hang out with you. And Bridget, always good to see you. My love to everybody out there. Please stay safe and have a great holiday ahead of you. Thank you, Angie. You too. Thanks for listening. Served Up is brought to you by Southern Glazers Wine and Spirits. Produced by Zunu.online. Music by We Kill the Lion can be found on Spotify. Make sure to subscribe to be notified of future Served Up episodes. Cheers. Cheers.